Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. Things We Say is back. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. And tonight we are excited for our, our uh, topic tonight. I, I just really have been thinking about this <laughs> all week and I'm super excited. We're going to start off with a brief Did You Know segment. Yes. And then we'll introduce our guest. All right. So. Who's got the Did You Know? I think you do. Oh, what you I said do? before we sat down here about... The origination of the word John. But it's, but it's not the real origination. It's just my favorite retelling of why that is. It's not true. Oh, it's not true. No, it's no, not I true. I thought that was true. No. I didn't you even can, tell you what it was. It's okay. You can tell it to the audience, and then I'll give a quick <laughs> did you know, and then we'll move on. I was just telling Sheldon that my favorite version of uh, where the term John for a toilet came from is uh, from Robin Hood Men in Tights, where... Uh, King Richard, who is played by the best actor in the world, Patrick Stewart, <laughs> and he makes just this little cameo, and it's beautiful, but he declares you know, all these things about Prince John and how horrible he is, and someone has just invented a flushable toilet. He's like, and because of this, <laughs> from this day forward, these shall be known as Johns. John's. <laughs> and yes. that's one of my favorite. Just hearing, hearing Patrick Stewart say those words just makes that priceless for me. So that is my favorite uh, way that that myth has been put forward. And uh, that was before he played uh, Deputy Director Bullock on American Dad, so we didn't actually know how crazy Patrick Stewart was at that point. At that point, he was still Captain Picard to yes. everybody. Uh, so it was just a joyous thing to hear those words come from his mouth. Okay, so I was only half listening to what you said earlier. Yeah, you weren't listening okay. to me, really, yeah. I that's was. Okay. I thought it was hilarious. You, you Either way. <laughs> So uh, this this week, Bryce Harper signed a $330 million contract Yay. with the Philadelphia Phillies, which makes me really happy. Congratulations, Matt Iceman. Also, if you were listening to this, my old friend Matt yeah, Iceman. Yeah, there we go. And uh, You don't know, any, but you Any will. guesses on the total revenue that the Philadelphia Phillies bring in in one season? Total I mean, team revenue. I don't want to know. Go ahead. Okay. $330 million. Oh, Lord. They, Without him, though. Every bit of cash that they bring in in one year as an organization, they stacked it all up and gave it to Bryce Harper for 13 years, for 13 years of service. Gosh. You know, if, if you're the Philadelphia Phillies organization, <laughs> before you've paid anyone, before you've done anything, just all the cash that you're going to get in one season is already spent on this dude. Here's, here's the thing. How is that a great business model? My favorite moment of Bryce Harper's career so far is that during his press conference, he said that he is committed to bringing a championship to D.C. There we go. In his press conference for now playing for Philadelphia. What? Yeah, that's what he said. Oh. Yeah. He, he that missed, doesn't bring me any he joy. Missed, he is not the sharpest tool in the shed. 
but he sure can play baseball. That's all I care about. <laughs> anyway, all there right. you go. There we go. Bryce well, Harper you know. is the Phillies now. Yeah. Quite literally. Well, they spent all their money on him, so yes, here they we did. are. All right. <laughs> And, and uh, tonight we wanted to introduce our guest. He is here to help us talk about the Satanic Panic, and more specifically, probably Dungeons & Dragons, since me and Nate don't know anything about Dungeons & Dragons. Everything that I know about Dungeons & Dragons comes from my own very limited research or the misinformation that was spread during the ripples of the Satanic Panic. So... That part will be... I've, you've been preparing for this all week mentally. I've been mentally preparing to have my reactions not be too visceral and angry <laughs> during this entire thing. <clears throat> I'm, I'm trying very hard not to censor myself, but to at least temper my responses to everything that is going on here. So anyway, who do we have here? Nelson Hicks. <coughs> Hi. Hi. I'm He's, sorry for my coughing, everybody. Um, so, Nelson, you are... You are an uh, avid Dungeons & Dragons player, but what else would you like people to know about you? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a massive nerd. I okay. have been for a very long time. Um, kind of a, a social media slut. Um, <laughs> Can you unpack that uh, a little bit? What exactly <laughs> does that mean? Actually, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the least social media person ever. I, I'm not on Twitter. I'm barely ever on Facebook. I really don't care for social media I at think all. it's funny that you, you talk down... The social media part and not the slut part. <laughs> I find that very entertaining. I think I think pretty much anybody that's on Instagram or Twitter, uh, not not to uh, generalize, but pretty much everybody on there is is just there for self-aggrandizing. That's fairly uh, certain. Yeah, so. we've talked about that a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's fair. All right, all right. That was one of our most listened to podcasts in the last <laughs> calendar year. The social media one we did. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, but you are. You are a Christian? Yes. And you've done youth ministry for how many years? Uh, several years. Okay, so I'm right now with some 8th grade boys. I've been with them since the 6th grade, hoping to stay with them through the, to the 12th grade. Cool. Um, before that, did a lot of uh, disaster relief and missions work. Um, I, I mean, I've grown up in church, uh, so I've kind of been in church my whole life. Um, not all that seriously through high school, but, you know, everybody goes through that phase. Um, Except me and Sheldon. <laughs> Everybody but me. We're just sitting here nodding. Yeah, yeah it's we, okay. We, know. <laughs> we know, but we don't know. A lot, of, a lot of my friends did not go through that phase, um, and a handful of others went through that phase and didn't come back to the yeah. church. So I've, right. I've kind of seen both of it. So, All but right. yeah. yeah, and uh, so you and your wife met while you were on the mission field, or what, or a service project that you were doing? Yeah, we met doing disaster relief. Uh, okay, she's Guatemalan. I'm Canadian, and we met in Louisiana. We, we met in the middle. Uh, Canadians is, outnumber Americans a, two to is, one tonight. That is a Nick Sparks <laughs> novel waiting to happen. Right? Actually, yeah. half and half. Yeah, I was going to say, we're, yeah, we're, so we're even. One and a half Canadians, one and a half Americans so here we're tonight. Literally we're literally even. We have, we've kept the balance of power. Yes, that's I, good. I feel like I'm, I'm half and half. One of, one of my friends who works in the railroad industry uh, says that he's never heard American blue-collar workers curse Obama the way a Canadian blue-collar workers curse Trudeau. I, I don't want any to. Factual, any factual uh, <laughs> anecdotal information to bring to that? <laughs> I don't know. I, I work with a lot of American blue-collar workers. <laughs> huh. 
And not so, so many Canadians? You don't know? I know. Many. I know okay. Canadian blue-collar workers. I mean, they're not too pleased with Trudeau. Yeah, uh, but that's what I was getting at. They're, so... As as an American only here, yeah. so no Canadian influence on me whatsoever. I w- I will offer what my impression of the situation with Trudeau is. You look at Obama, and Obama was at least a he was a palatable dude. Like you'd hear him talking, like yeah, hang, hang out with this guy. You know, he seemed okay yeah. that way. Okay, but there was some disconnect in terms of being a little bit more elitist. You know, schools, different things, mostly you know appealed to the coasts. The problem is, is that. Not the problem, but the thing is, is America is not as uh, starkly contrasted between the coast and the flyover country as most people would like us to think. There's still a lot of similar value. There's still a lot of right. similar, you know. In Canada, that is not the same thing. Like, people in Toronto versus New people Brunswick. that are, like, out in the bush and, like, yeah. hanging out. Like, there is a much more stark chasm between those two cultures within the culture if 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 I am if I am correct, yeah, I'd say that's about right. And, and so therefore, he said about. I'm okay with that. I'm okay <laughs> with that. I'm happy about that actually. So therefore, Trudeau can actually be a lot more alienating to those who he is alienating to. Yeah, but Harper was the exact same in the other direction. In the other direction. Yeah. So I feel like that's the that's dichotomy that you're always going to have well, with Canadian politics. With with American politics too, at least Canadian politics has the luxury of more than two parties that yes. actually have a chance. Yes. Um, and that that's oh, what you that's get with fun. Parliament. Uh, get into a whole thing with that. Yeah. Right. Um, but I, you know, I, I mentioned that I'd consider myself a half and half. I've lived in the states for about ten years now. I have no plans on going back, working on my citizenship. Um, I I'm a staunch believer in the founding fathers' uh, beliefs and opinions and morals and values, and you know, I'm a I am. Which is why you're here tonight. So. Many of my, <laughs> my, my Canadian cousins tease me, you know, because I sound too American to them. My nice. American friends tease me because I sound too Canadian. So, we'll we'll just give you a Minnesota. And and you're trilingual. <laughs> That's you're you're trilingual. And I'm trilingual. Right? Really? Yeah, yeah. Four so, if you sp- if you count Big Latin. So. so so what are the what are the three? I speak English, French, and Spanish. Okay. Um, but as far as my resume is concerned, I'm conversational in French and Spanish. Um, okay. Because. You know, speaking over the phones, a whole different ball game. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. All right, let's get to the task at hand. Right. I'm glad to get to know you a little better because we're literally going to this cold turkey. We I met Nelson like 10 minutes before we started doing this, and I right. spent the last 20 trying to figure out why we can't hear him in our monitor. <laughs> so I wasted a lot of time that should have Nel- been. Relational. Nelson and I work together, which is how I found him, and I've known his brother Harley yeah. for. Yeah, I a long know his time. brother quite a bit better than I. Right. Obviously, yeah. know you. Yeah, but all right. So we want to talk about the satanic panic. Me and Nate have talked around this a little bit on various different episodes. Uh, what what is what is the satanic panic? Can we talk about that, or do you want to jump into what is Dungeons and Dragons first? The satanic panic is the equivalent of the Salem witch trials Very, in the late '80s, mm-hmm. early '90s in evangelical Christianity. Yes. I don't feel like this bled over into Catholicism a whole lot or no. into other oh, branches of Christianity. Did it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Mostly, but, I thought it was evangelical saying that Catholics were a part of the Satanist side. Yep, there was that, too. Mostly. <laughs> so, let me let But me good reference to the Salem Witch Trials. <laughs> I'll go ahead and introduce some of the main characters, and you can jump in at any point here, Nelson, and introduce some of your own sure. characters, and then we'll kind of construct... Bad actors? Yeah. Yes. Let's, let's just introduce some people to some of the bad actors, some of where... This came from, and and at the very start, I do want to say this. There is actual witchcraft. There is actual demons at work in the world. We believe that as Christians, we believe that there is a dark power out there 
and that Satan has his own sets of plans, which are to steal, kill, and destroy. Right. Can However, I, I want to put a pin in that, though. Go ahead. Um, I am not skeptical that there is. However, uh, having done missions, I, I've seen it that it exists. I am, however, skeptical of how prevalent it is, uh, and 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 I think that most people, when they're talking about it or saying that they are, kind of like Anton Lavey, which we'll bring up later, mm. they're just trolling, right? Yeah. They're they're just. Uh, it's, You're talking it, like in Western cultures more. Oh so. yeah, exactly. It's more like spaghetti monster, right? right. Um, it's well, and my my experience with that actually also has been that. The majority of people that I have seen that have dealt with that, it is. I'll get into that later. That'll be a whole other thing. So, so go ahead, Sheldon. I'm and sorry. this may turn into a longer podcast. We'll see how this goes because I do want to unpack There's all a lot of this. Unpack, I do want to yeah. open it up and unpack it while we have the time and while we're on the topic. We might as well just go for it. Right. But I, at the outset, I do also want to say that if you hear anything tonight that sounds like us endorsing something that your parents do not, <clears> and you are under the age of 18, you are to obey your parents yes. and just deal with it. Parents yeah. are allowed to give you rules no matter how ridiculous they may seem. When you become an, an adult, you have, you have the ability to decide what rules you're going to follow for your life that lead to your best life. Now, they, you should never do something that contradicts the Bible because there are principles and proverbs I can show you and other places I can show you, hey, this is the path that leads unto life, and this is the path that leads unto death. While you're in your parents' house, though, you need to obey your parents. I'm not, if I'm, yes. I've Let been a youth leader, Nelson's been a youth leader, Nate's been working in church. Nothing that we say here tonight is allowing you to go no. home and tell mom and dad, your rules are dumb or what you believe is dumb. You are not yeah. allowed to do Let that. Let me just say it to you plainly. Sheldon and I, and I'm assuming Nelson as well, we don't really care about you like your parents do. And I mean that in the sense that we don't really care about you all that much if you're teenagers, unless you're teenagers that we specifically work with. So go with the people who love you versus the your people who really might tell you to go away you. because you're annoying. Yeah, so, so touch on what Sheldon said. I collectively said. care about the teens. If, if, if your parents are explicitly instructing you to do things that are against what the Bible informs you to do, don't do those things. But if your parents say, don't play Dungeons and Dragons, don't and you say, Dungeons well, Nelson Hicks on the things yes. they say, the things we say plays Dungeons and Dragons, and he's a Christian, the Bible doesn't say that thou shalt roll dice. So, yeah. Y- yeah. you know, if they say don't play Dungeons and Dragons, don't play Dungeons and Dragons. That's right. right. There Simple are plenty that. of Christian okay. alternatives. Yes. And, and we'll talk and about that, as, too. <laughs> and as we take down some of these prevailing myths... Some of the reason these myths have power is because there are things in Christianity that are true that are closely associated with the things that we're talking about. And people have seen demonic manifestation. People have seen things like that happen. It's It's not just something that happens in third world countries. It does happen here. Right. So, but... We need to be careful about where our information comes from regarding these things, yes. which is why we have to tackle this. Yes. We have to go back and unpack where a lot of these rumors started, who they were started by, why they persisted for so long, and why we're, some people are still messed up about this today. Yeah. My position at the outset, the way I come into this, is that we should not be going to look for devils to kick around. No. That is not what Christians are supposed to do. If you are confronted by something that would stop you from doing something that the Lord wants you to do, you have the power to deal with it 
and move on. Exactly. And move past it. I've always okay? said, I've always said I, when, I, when it comes to spirituality, I always think of it in terms of uh, the theology of, of Teddy Roosevelt, which is the whole speak softly and carry a big stick. Right. To put it uh, crassly, we have the bigger stick, so paranoia <laughs> is not necessary. That's right. And, and, and going around devil stomping or looking for a demon behind every bush is never anything that I want to endorse. Right. It's just ridiculous. It's along if the you lines live of... the Christian life, there's enough, there's enough evil opposition to what you're doing to, to, that your grace from God that's new every day can help you deal with. So, yes. like, Enough anyway. of the disclaimers. Let's get to it. Right. I want to get to <laughs> it. Right. Let's here's, go. Here's some bad actors. Uh, one of the ones that you need to know about is Jack Chick. And even if you don't know him, you know him, as I found out. Yep. Yep. And everybody everybody that you say, hey, do you know anything about Jack Chick? They're probably like, no. I have no idea who this guy is. Do you know what a Chick track is? Uh, about 80% of people are still like, no. Yeah. Okay. Do yourself a favor right now. Pull up Google on your phone. You're listening to Unless a podcast. Unless you're driving. Yeah. Uh, Jeez, even if you're driving, <laughs> we're all texting. <laughs> the cops are texting. <laughs> the cops are texting. Have you seen the cops' computer in his car? He's not even texting. He's got two hands on the keyboard. Playing solitaire. Oh, jeez. No. Sorry, ahead, that's a rant for a different day. Go ahead. But Google Chick Track and just look at the images. You have seen this yes, thing. For sure. If, if you've been in a public restroom anywhere in the Midwest or Ever. even. You said Mardi Gras? Oh, uh, if you've been all to Mardi Gras, the they're all over the floor. If, <laughs> if, if you've been to a major city and there's a guy yell pray, praying on a sidewalk and he hands out a piece of paper. I like how you said yell praying. That's, that's great. Good. And he hands out a piece of paper. It's probably a chick track. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's absolutely. a chick track. And Jack Chick has been roundly denounced because a lot of what he's used as in, in a lot of his tracks, some of which have been discontinued because they were so errant. Right. Most of what he says... Almost all of what he says about witchcraft, Satanism, the Illuminati, the occult, Druidism, most of that was founded on tales told to him by a man named John Todd. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or borrowed from Mike Warnke, who was a supposed Satanist expert that showed up a couple different places. But let's stick with Jack Chick. And, and a lot of them do are still want, up on their website. Do you want to weigh in on Jack Chick? Because we, we have to know these names before we just move on and we keep throwing them out. Uh, so Jack Chick, along with Bill Schneblin, William Schneblin, uh, are, are largely responsible for the satanic panic as it pertains to Dungeons & Dragons specifically. But D&D was just a facet of what was going on in the 80s as far as the satanic panic is concerned. Yeah. Um, the the one that they had together so Bill Schneblin helped write Dark Dungeons which was a chick track uh, you can still find it on their website go to chick.com and you can look it up um, and, and it's still there uh, it's edited from its original so it doesn't look quite the same they've they've changed some of the scripture that was used in the original they huh. said that Lord of the Rings and Narnia was satanic yeah uh, that's no longer in there uh, instead it's a scripture reference because of the largely popular <laughs> Lord of yes. the Rings and Narnia series. Were written by a Catholic and an Anglican. There so. you go. Both of which who knew each other and and uh, worked together for quite a while. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. Lewis and Tolkien have become largely regarded as some of the best Christian minds of the 20th century. I mean, how can you say that the guy that wrote Mere Christianity wrote <laughs> a satanic fantasy novel yes, series. exactly. Well, John Todd and Jack Chick accused a lot of Christian leaders of being part of the occult or Illuminati. Yeah, yeah. 
And the Illuminati by itself is something that I wanted to get into on another one of our conspiracy <laughs> episodes. Anything that mentions the Illuminati or Illuminatus or any of that all traces its roots back to such dubious uh, mockery of information. It's not even it's not even close to a real yeah. thing. I I don't know. Yes. Anyway, yeah. just be immediately dubious of people that claim anything about the Illuminati. So somebody else that's connected with this that uh, was more from my camp that people are going to recognize is the name Dr. Rebecca Brown, uh, who uh, was uh, a lady who uh, wrote a particular book that most people have read called uh, He Came to Set the Captives Free. And it's all about this tale of how she got involved in deliverance ministry via experience with a high-level coven witch named Elaine, who she rescued out of uh, a cult called the Brotherhood, which basically controls all of America. Um, Little did I know until reading some information just now that her first couple of books were published by Chick Publications, which I did not know. And Jack Chick defended Rebecca Brown long after, wasn't her story completely? Everything fell apart. Everything fell apart. Okay. And she had major mental issues and all kinds of things that people found out later. But there's still stuff that's out. There's still, uh, she had already had her falling out when I read these books, but the internet not being what it was in the mid nineties, I was not aware that all of this had hit the fan. See, and this is part of what we wanted to get into with the satanic panic. Part of the way information <coughs> traveled was what made it so problematic. Right. Mm-hmm. Because Chick Publications made it a lot farther and a lot faster than real data that you could go and verify or, or articles by any large publication or sure. any way of verifying anything that was put in the Chick tracks didn't exist. You couldn't, like you... John, we can get into John Todd, and I want to <laughs> next. If yeah. we're done with Jack Chick, let's go into John Todd a little bit because he's a big problem and and a big major source where a lot of this came from. John Todd would go around to all kinds of evangelical churches. He would give his testimony about he how he was born into a satanic family yep. and was raised basically in the occult and all of this, and and he would have tapes of and and like he was supposedly really high in the in the satanic church and all of this and his tapes of those of those sermons would go around to different churches ahead of him even before he would come speak at other churches so tapes and tracks and all kinds of things were being passed hand to hand and church to church in a way that real that news wasn't accessible like your newspaper wasn't going to have your local newspaper was didn't have the resources to go and research the claims being made in your hometown church and they would have no reason to do so right you know there's a guy standing in your church telling you this and and preaching a gospel message right along beside it right. and like calling people to repentance but uh John John Todd's model was to go into a town and preach a sermon like that get an offering, and then from there start to say, hey, our teens are at the highest risk in all of the satanic stuff because their rock music is coming at them, and you know, and that's controlled by the occult, and they're being taught the occult in schools, and even your daycare centers are, have like the occult coming at them and everything. The Martin trials? Yeah. The, well, those are, those are coming up. That was an outgrowth <laughs> of like some of the stuff that yeah. Tipper Gore got involved with and everything. Oh, and Michelle but, remembers. But anyway, he would say about how at-risk kids were, and then he would set up some type of coffee shop-style ministry, 
And then he would start to make more and more bizarre claims. Like he would start setting up retreats and stuff where they would go and they would hear more about this stuff and he would start basically people once people hear that type of information they they feel like you have secret knowledge they want to hear more and more and more so he would keep spinning these tales he'd take people on retreats usually young people mm -hmm. and then he would basically say that there were threats on his life and that people were trying to come get him mm -hmm. and so that's when he would get people to come with him on like a retreat, a longer one, and basically like we have to leave now because they're coming and blah, blah, blah. And he was a serial rapist. Mm. And he preyed as a sexual predator on many young women throughout this whole ministry that he was doing. And as soon as the jig was up and people realized that what he was doing was not right and he got kicked out of a town, he would go to maybe the next state or half state away and do the exact same thing again. Yeah. All of this was exposed later on. He was a complete and total fraud. He was a sexual deviant. Every time that he would get exposed, he would claim that the minister or ministries that were exposing him were, um, part, of were the, part of the occult, part of the Illuminati. Or that somebody had risen up within yeah, that right. area or body to, well, to, I mean, to frame exactly. him. And, oh when and, he's saying that people are coming to get him, not entirely inaccurate because right. he, you know, he's a serial rapist, so right. there are people yes. that want him. And he, he had to keep on moving, but he made plenty of money doing this. And then once larger parts of, of Christianity would denounce him, he would say, well, you know, fine. If Christians don't want me, I guess I can just go back to the occult. And then people, that would garner sympathy from people. And they'd be like, why are you being so mean to him? He used to be a witch. And now he's just trying to live a Christian life amongst us. Right. And people are being so mean to him. And aren't Christians so terrible? And he's really okay. And like, he would get a bunch of people around him that were sympathetic. And that, that is really how a narcissistic, right. abusive personality works. He right. was a horrible, horrible human being. He ended up being in prison for 30 years on rape charges. He got, he got thrown in jail and only released from jail to go into a psychiatric facility because he was trying to change his gender in prison. He was practicing Wicca again. He was back into all kinds of things, <laughs> which you wonder how much of this you know, right. was an act and how much of it wasn't. But right. he died in 2004 as a cross-dressing witch in a psych facility. Yeah. yeah. And it's like this is the guy that Jack Chick defended even after... Major Christian publications denounced every part of this yeah. man's testimony. Yeah. Jack Chick was still defending this guy as like the only guy in evangelical Christianity to do so. Yeah. After he was exposed, John Todd, John Todd is probably the guy that you can point to where most where most of this started. Um, he he even had like when he left, his Army Medical report cited emotional instability. With pseudologica uh, fantastica, basically compulsive lying, and difficulty in telling reality from fantasy, homicidal threats he had made on another, false suicide reports, and severe personality disturbance. Yeah. And what he did from there was go straight into evangelical Christianity. Yeah. And start making wild claims. He claimed in his testimony that he murdered an officer in Germany and he escaped prison with the help of the Illuminati, but no records show that anything like this occurred. He, 
These records were later recovered by investigative journalists working for Christianity Today who found that he had never been to Vietnam. One report concluded that Todd found it difficult to distinguish between reality and fantasy. To get how crazy this dude was, he claimed that, he was, that JFK was still alive and he had been Kennedy's personal warlock. This is the kind of guy that fed Jack Trick, Jack Chick, all kinds of stuff. And this was Mike uh, Warnke? No, this is John Todd. Oh, John Todd, John Todd. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is one of, of several guys, though, uh, and, and kind of really well represents the path that a lot of these guys took, right? A lot of these guys, yeah. um, if you look at their, wh- where they went later in life, they'll have similar stories. Yeah. yeah. And, and really, here's the thing. Regardless of all this, what these, these were people that were either preying upon or, or mentally impaired into making these claims. Here, they, were here preying it, upon, they were preying upon, but what they were preying upon was a genuine fear inside of evangelical Christianity right. at the time. Yes. So it wasn't, it, wasn't like, it wasn't like this just sprung up and out of nowhere evangelical Christianity latched onto it. There were things that evangelical Christianity was seeing. There were culture shifts. There were things that were happening that they did not understand, that they were afraid of, and now all of a sudden here came someone with a solution as to... And an explanation. Yeah, here's why the church is losing influence. Here's why we're seeing government change. Here's why we're seeing culture change. (coughs) Because... and Most fact, churches were still stuck like right around the like 1950s, 1940s in terms of their thinking, in terms of their approach to evangelism, in terms of the way they dressed, in terms of everything. And a lot of change was even starting to happen within the church. And so there was just this general sense of unease that these things came in and filled that void to a very unfortunate end. And mm-hmm. some of the things that were directly based on John Todd's claim, and we know now that everything that John Todd said was a lie in order to rape people. Yeah. Like, that is literally why anything came out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. And, and some of the publications that were based on what John Todd promoted in his message were the comic Broken Cross that Jack Chick put out as a chick track, yep. a comic that portrays a town controlled by organized Satanists who, teach, or, who ignore ritual murders and teach witchcraft to children in school. Another chick comic book, Spellbound, the character called Lance Collins, describes himself as a former Druid member, Druid member and a member of the Illuminati. The character claims that Satanists control the rock music industry and are infiltrating churches and urges Christians to burn their rock music. This, this list is crazy. Burn your rock music records, Ouija boards, and Dungeons and Dragons game sets. Both comics offer deepest appreciation to John Todd, ex-Grand Druid priest. And I, I think great see, job, Jack Chick. <laughs> we see a lot of that uh, that feedback loop, right? Which and we see that today, kind of in the news as well. You get one guy that says a crazy thing, somebody else publishes it, then he references that thing that was the an authentic publication, thing. right? And then they quote him having quoted them, and it's like this yeah. feedback loop that all these people buy into because two rep- somewhat reputable people are yeah. saying the same thing, so it must be true. Yeah. And Mike, Mike Warnke and John Todd were active together long enough. Mike Warnke is another name to know if you look him up. Yeah. Uh, there was all kinds of charges against him, and basically his story fell apart too. Another guy that claimed to have been in the occult and then converted to Christianity and had this dramatic experience. He drove around in, in something called, uh, was, was he the one that drove around in the Satan mobile? Oh, I have no idea. Oh my goodness. This, uh, he, he's, uh, he runs around now as a comedian. Um, and some people wonder how much of this was comedy and everything else, but here's his rise to fame. His 1972 book, Warnke's book, The Satan Seller. Yeah. Have you heard that one? Uh-uh. Yeah. 
Anyway, it tells him it was being orphaned as a child and then introduced to Satanism. Yeah. Like, that that whole book was what propelled him to, like, best-selling author. And it talks about his drug use and all kinds of other stuff. But a lot of, a lot of the timeline didn't line up. He had a series of sexual affairs um, and, and ran from that kind of stuff. Yeah. Anyway. And again, my, my chief exposure to all of this kind of stuff was through Rebecca Brown, who was connected to these people. And I had no idea until looking into this for this. Um, in fact, her, her book, uh, He Came to Set the Captives Free, uh, she re- references, like I said, The Brotherhood, which she says specifically in her vo- book, the same cult written about in Mike Warnke's book. Yeah. Which I remember in The Satan Seller, uh, which I remember, but I had no idea who that was and that this was all so interconnected at all. He wrote, he wrote a Christian's <laughs> perspective on Halloween. Uh, he, wrote a, he, he would mix his comedy albums and like serious stuff. Um, but anyway, he, he ended up on 2020 on an expose they did on kidnapping and Satanism and whether like people were being used in satanic sacrifice and kidnapping, massive kidnapping schemes and that type of thing. Um, contributions to Warnke's ministry were over a million in 1985, over two million in each year from 87 through 1990. Yeah. Yeah. So he was basically a (coughs) grifter and that ran around and made, made extravagant claims. Okay. So let's, let's start to get into what, what the results of this kind of thing were, what, what started to happen culturally so let's get into the like legitimate part of the satanic panic here, like some of the trials that went on, like all of that stuff. Yeah. Let's start getting into that. I so. think um, I think one of the things that really kind of brought so there's this book that was written in 1980 called Michelle Remembers. Yeah. I think we should actually. I'm gonna roll back a bit further. Anton Lavey, 1966, church starts the the Church of Satan. Yeah. Okay. Um, now the guy, if you look at videos and pictures of him, it'll make you uneasy. Yeah. Right. There's, I don't know if there's anything to that beyond just, I think he was trying to be as creepy as possible. And if you look at members of the Church of Satan today, it kind of is the same thing. I think a lot of the Church of Satan, as far as America is concerned, is a lot like the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, <laughs> in that they're, they're atheists that are just trying to trigger uh, fundamentalist Christians. Which LeVay claimed that, absolutely. He, yeah. he even said that plainly. If you exactly. look at interviews with him, he did not believe in any supernatural yeah. entity. He thought of Satan as the the ultimate example of serving your own desires and your own ends. The man was a hedonist, right. essentially. Yep. And do as you will was his was his chief yep. doctrine. Yep. And 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 what he founded as the Church of Satan. Which to be fair is something is, that Satan would probably exactly want us to exactly. do. <laughs> but in terms of in terms of what most people associate with the Church of right. Satan, it is not as an organization what people think of it as. Or at least not what Christians think of it what as. What Christians think of it as. Yep. Yeah, if Christians could pick like public enemy number one, the Church of Satan would seem to be pretty high on the list. What we're saying is that it shouldn't be. <laughs> it, that's there are not concerns. your number. Yeah. That's not the number one enemy so, of the church. So in 1966, he he founds this church, uh, and it's admittedly a small church at the time, but it slowly bubbles up and it really starts ballooning in 1980. Mm. Uh, in 1980, there was a book called Michelle Remembers. Uh, written by Canadian psychiatrist Lawrence Pazder and his psychiatric patient, 
uh, and eventually his wife. They both divorced their uh, spouses to marry each other. Oh, that sounds good. Michelle Smith, a bestseller. Michelle Remembers was the first book written on the subject of satanic ritual abuse and is an important part of the controversies beginning in the 1980s regarding satanic ritual abuse and recovered memory. Yeah. Uh, I'm pulling from Wikipedia. Uh, the book has subsequently been discredited by several investigations which found no corroboration of the book's events and that the events described in the book were extremely unlikely and in some cases impossible. Yeah. Um, but it, it hit bestseller, right? So it was on not just like conservative Christians, it was on the nation's radar right. that there was this satanic ritual abuse. Um, so, and what year was that? 1980. So, yes. And that's when the book's published. Yeah. So in the, in the years leading up to this book being published is when... Um, Pazder and Smith are going through this these therapy sessions for her, and uh, I, I want to get to the exact spot because it's it's bizarre. Um, therapy in the late 1970s w with his longtime patient Smith. In '73, Pazder first started treating Smith at his s private psychiatric practice in Victoria, British <laughs> Columbia. In '76, when Pazder was treating Smith for depression, Smith confided she felt she had something important to tell him, but could not remember what it was. Shortly thereafter, Pazder and Smith had a session where Smith screamed for 25 minutes nonstop and eventually started speaking in the voice of a five-year-old. Over the next 14 months, Pazder spent over 600 hours using hypnosis to help Smith recover <laughs> alleged memories of satanic ritual wow. abuse that occurred when she was five. In 1954 and in 1955, at the hands of her mother and others, all of whom Smith said were members of a satanic cult in Victoria. One of these things that uh, she claims happened was 85 days of of repeated rape and uh, satanic abuse. Um, however, school records at the time show that she was in school. Now, if you're a conspiracy theorist, you're just going to say, yeah, of course that's what it says, right. right? So it's really hard to argue that. But, I mean, third-party Christian and non-Christian investigators say it doesn't look like this ever actually happened. Yeah. Oh, uh, one weird tidbit that I was going to throw out with John Todd. <laughs> one of his tapes was played at a church service attended by Randy and Wick, Vicky Weaver. Randy and Vicky Weaver heard his tapes before they moved to Ruby Ridge. Mm. And they they found like when they like part of it fed into the whole line that yeah. Randy and Vicky Weaver why can't I say Vicky <laughs> Weaver? It's too hard. But like, it fed into their whole th narrative as to why they needed to go out into right. the middle of nowhere. Right. Like, people don't realize how some of these things tie together. Right. But they really did. Well, and, and, and looking at this whole thing, like oh, you was talking about with Michelle Remembers' book, this created a foundation where you yes. could say, okay, we know this to be true, so let's take it all, all of these different directions. So people didn't question at the time until those things started to be disproven in the public eye. People didn't question. I just that read these it things in a best-selling book. Yeah, it's right. not how was this obtained? So you were not, you? Yeah, you didn't have to start with. Let yeah. me explain satanic ritual abuse. It became a common. It, it was just common in the culture. Everybody knew exactly what that was, and so you could start with that foundation, and then you see start start seeing Warnke and Brown and some of these people getting more in depth into what this is and taking it even further, but directly to the church as opposed to a general uh, cultural phenomena as it was with. Uh, with that particular book initially. Yep. And, and I mean, if, even if you just look at the behavior that Michelle Smith is showing, 25 minutes of screaming followed by speaking in the voice of a five-year-old, most psychiatrists are going to tell you that's not normal. Yeah. Right? Th there's something more here. And I, I, I'm, I, 
I assume he latched onto that too, and that's kind of why, why he went with it. But I, I would argue that if there, there's something more going on here, there's probably a, a, a psychotic break of sorts, right? She was, uh, at the time, had just had a child, so probably post-martum depression, right? Uh, her marriage was kind of rocky, so uh, especially in the late 70s, early 80s, there's a lot of... Um, cultural change as far as even marriage is concerned yeah. there's a lot of pressure there there's a lot going on here and i think the proof for a lot of things is in the fruit of what comes from it they both left their partners and married each other right. like also in her book she never on. once mentions any of her siblings <laughs> right and her dad you know says the whole thing is a hoax which again if you're into right. con uh, conspiracies, you're going to say, well, of course he would. Right. Right. But why doesn't she mention any of her siblings? Why is she the only one born into the Satanist family that gets, uh, that is a victim of a Satanic ritual abuse? So there was one, there was a couple things that were targeted by all of these people that they made so much money and popularity off of. They would target the rock, mu rock music yep. industry, which, like AC which played right into Christianity at the time, saying, yeah, rock music is bad. We get it. Yeah. Like, and we're totally and on board so with convoluted. anyone that condemns it. And then they also would point at Christian rock. And even to the point that the, and, and the guys that were proposing that the actual beat was satanic yeah. were beat. these people. Yeah. It was Mike Warnke. It was John Todd. It was those type of people that were up there saying, yeah, even the beat is satanic. All of us that were fans of Audio Adrenaline love the Houseplant yes. song yeah. for a very... Oh, and, yeah. And people now listen to like the Houseplant song by Audio A and be like, why would they write it's absurd. a song like that? <laughs> it's absurd. And yet it was played in Christian coffee houses. Yeah. Yeah. That's where it was designed to go. Yep. Yeah. And a lot of these Christian coffee house ministries grew out of this movement. Yeah. yeah. Like, where do you think this came from? The, the recording of it, too, is is set up to sound like it's in a to coffee house. To sound like it's in a yeah. coffee house. Yeah. And, and it's it's all about, you know, well, it doesn't really matter if it's Christian or not. <laughs> if it's syncopated rhythm, your soul is going to rot. Yeah. You know, that's, Which is that, catchy. It is, <laughs> it is amazing. And I'm like, that is exactly what we... what. Christian culture was being told yeah. In, yeah. in the 80s that this not only not only is rock music bad, but Christian rock music is bad. And it was just a backlash against the real, uh, I don't know, Christ, real Christians making real art in the rock music scene, yeah. like uh, Larry well, Norman and, and a whole bunch of other Christian hippies. There's an incredible irony to this because so much of what you would deem as, as, as Satanism or dark things in... Uh, in rock music were very much outliers. You had your ACDCs or your Ozzy Osbournes, or, well, Black Sabbath at the time. And you well, had, and and you had himself will say the only black magic he's ever partaken of is the chocolate. Right. And there's a there's a brand of chocolate right. In, right. in Britain called Black but, Magic. But, and that, I mean, Ozzy would say that. Yeah, but if you're looking at, and, and of course there was some occult interest by, and, and, and other weird mythologies that were embraced by Led Zeppelin. However... When you really start to see rock bands delve into like the dark regions of Satanism and using that language, using demonic imagery, where does it happen? Mid to late 80s. Yeah. Because the paranoia started in the church mm -hmm. and the rock music reaction was, okay. Well, well even this we'll is something that new. Even yeah. take a step back. The whole thing with like 
the Sex Pistols and all of like new like when punk came on the scene yeah. was to take anything that anyone said was sacred and spin it on its head right. yep. and make fun of it and like yeah let's play right. it real fast right. you know and so, just like as fast as we can as bad as we can be because yeah. the bad guy wins right. the bad guy sells records and so, and so as and soon so essentially as, what started to happen was yes like you said with the this feedback is a chicken earlier, and the egg scenario we created this monster almost through the church and, and then. And then projected that that oh see it's confirmed here it is it's coming forward and it was but we good we got business. we went it was nonsense too though okay so for example ACDC their yeah. logo logo is AC and then a lightning bolt DC yeah right that stands for alternate current a lightning bolt direct current yeah exactly because it's electricity because it's electricity and they're nerds right yeah, it's on all your amps and so stuff. so the church sees ACDC they hear the song Highway to Hell they're like oh clearly this is satanic. Obviously, this stands for Antichrist Devil Child. Yeah. Right? What? You never heard that one? No. Oh, man, I heard that growing up, and I'm like, it's just music. It's like, like, yeah, Dirty Deeds, <laughs> Dunder Cheap is profane and gross, but that's the point. It's just to get a reaction. Yeah. They're just trolling yeah. you. And then, they were trying to not get played on the radio because that was hip and cool if well, your song couldn't be played on the radio. But then you also have Black Sabbath, right, which yeah. is... Arguably the first metal band, but yeah. uh, there are people that will probably write in to correct me. Uh, I would typically argue that Zeppelin was the first, but uh, well, their whole—it's a bunch of Catholic guys. Yeah. All right, and if you look at pictures of them when they started, they're all wearing crucifixes because they're a bunch of Catholic guys. <laughs> all right, and it was very—it was important to them. They looked at the culture of the day, and there were horror movies, and they thought, "Oh, people pay money to get scared by watching these scary movies. What if people paid money to get scared by listening to scary music?" Let's write scary music. Yeah. Right? Weren't, and, weren't they living and, and, in an apartment right above a, a movie theater yeah. that played horror movies? Yeah. And, yeah. and they, they stole the name from a poem that was written just a little bit earlier. Like, they're not... The, like, and now Ozzy Osbourne fried his brain on drugs. Yes. He bit bats, uh, heads off of live bats. Yes. That is not the behavior of a yeah. sane person. Right. But I would argue that this was later in the career and... Largely due to the negative feedback loop that's pushing him further and further to the outsides. Right. And then, and then another, I want to go back to the Antichrist Double Child thing real quick because there's another band, Slayer. Yeah. Uh, that Christian Circles said stands for Satan laughs as your soul. No, Satan laughs as you eternally rot. That's what Slayer stands for, which which <laughs> oh, is probably more metal than they ever intended. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably like, yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But, but as you said, you know, towards the late 80s, early 90s, we got, like, a real dark metal, right? Yeah. Um, and that's largely in Northern England, Ireland, and Sweden. We get these guys, and then most of them that, like, said that they were Satanists, if you look at the music, they're just trolling. Yeah. But then some of them, like, legit went pagan and yeah, started yeah. Viking metal and right. are full-on pagans now. Yeah. And, and it's almost like our, the negative feedback loop that we like the the miscommunication drove them further away. Yeah. So without a doubt. Yeah. And I think and I drove think kids some to of, it. Some of Christians being so hyped up about this stuff actually opened the doorways for some people to be like, oh, there is this whole other thing that what is this thing that everybody's talking about? How you know, if you're if you're not a Christian, if you're not involved in it and everybody's in this mass hysteria, yeah. you have one you have one choice or another choice. Like you you can either be totally apathetic to it or you can be interested by it and which side is going to appeal to you and oh. it's not always clear. It's like okay, so both Dungeons and Dragons and the Beatles 
uh, one big thing they have in common is one of the best things for their sales was people saying that it was going to take you to hell. Yeah. Right. Because then teenagers were like, "What is this? Right. Yeah, I want to know this more." Thing that I can't touch. Yeah. You tell teen American teenagers that they cannot have something. You tell my three-year-old oh. that he can't have something. And that's the first thing they want. That's the only thing they want. I want to touch on that for just a second because my dad told me a hilarious story today. The king of Prussia, a long time ago, yes. really liked potatoes. Okay. But he couldn't get his people to eat potatoes. So what did he do? He passed a law that potatoes were only for the king, and he put them in his garden. Within like a decade, everybody wanted to eat potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> right? You tell somebody they can't have it, what do they do? They Not only do they go and get it, but they go all in. Right. Right? Like in countries where heroin is legal, it's really clean and pure, and the addiction rate's really low. In countries where it's illegal, you have black tar heroin and people getting strung out in the streets and, and death rates are crazy high. Yeah. Am I arguing for legalization of heroin? We'll talk about that personally if you want to. I've already made my stance clear on that subject. <laughs> like that's a conversation I tend to have one-on-one yeah. -on -one with people because that's, it's, that's it's one, nuanced. That's one where, it's nuanced. That's one where my libertarianism stops just after marijuana and right before really hard drugs. But It's a conversation that I tend to have only one-on-one -on -one with people. Yes. yes. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Away with that. You tell somebody they can't have something, so, they want it. So, so let's talk a little bit, first of all, before we get specifically into Dungeons & Dragons, because sure. I think we'll get to that in just a second. We do need to. Yeah, we do need to. <laughs> we may end up doing the whole second half just on that. That's fine. To That's be fine. honest. So no, this let's, is... Let's, first of all, I want to talk a, bit, a little bit about some of the trials that were associated with satanic panic, oh, sexual yeah. ritual abuse, satanic ritual abuse that was happening in daycares, all of that stuff. But yes, then I want to also talk for each one of us how we specifically eventually saw the satanic, satanic ma panic manifested in our own homes and own churches. Ah, okay. there okay. we go. How did you start I to be introduced? I still see it. So let's start with, let's start with daycares. The the official satanic panic. This as it happened. This I believe you're going to talk about the daycare case. The McMartin preschool trial that McMartin. actually doesn't happen until '93. Okay, yeah. and and this is still an outgrowth <laughs> of all of this. Um, one thing to note before we get, one of the things that prolonged this and took it to the national stage was Tipper Gore mm -hmm. going all out <laughs> against Dungeons and Dragons. So can, can you Nelson talk about <laughs> me and me and Nelson talked a little bit about Tipper Gore this week. Okay. I would like you to just an interesting thing that a little bit. And then we'll go to daycares because I feel like we need to know why it lasted from the late seventies into the early 80s when, when Rebecca Brown and Mike Warnke and, and John Todd, and all, they were all 90s. in their heyday, to all the way to the early 90s when these daycare trials are happening. Yeah. Um, like we're so talking everyone, the whole Reagan presidency yeah, and, and just so early everyone Bush. knows, Tipper Gore is the, I guess now, ex-wife. They're, ex they're at least separated, as you know that, of Al Gore, Vice President Al yes. Gore. Vice presidential <laughs> candidate. No, he was the vice president. Oh, well, that's right. He was vice president. <laughs> he was also the candidate. candidate. Yeah, but there he was the presidential candidate. Yes. Happy President's Day to Al Gore and Hillary Clinton specifically. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so it is that it is that Gore. She is she is part of that that whole clan and that whole thing. You left so John McCain a, out there. So this was a Oh, I'd love to include John this McCain, was, but this I don't was speak a, ill of the dead. This was a Clinton era thing. This was not a yeah. Republican era thing at all. No, no. Um not to not to lay at the feet. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, most yeah. people would look at this and say, "Oh, this is a Republican." Of course, thing. it was not. It was. It was not. It was, and and it wasn't even uniquely um, uh, conservative Christians, fundamentalists, or even just Christians in general, right? Because you got left death left sitting yeah. Christians. But I mean, you had Geraldo Rivera and 60 Minutes covering D and D as as if it was you know going like, and I quote, 
a boy committed suicide after summoning a demon in his rooms in his room. That is in a 60 minutes report. Tipper Gore was separated from Al Gore in 2010. Yes. Shortly after, yeah, his global warming prediction <laughs> I failed it was, to come true. I think it was actually shortly after his whole massage parlor incident. Ah. Oh. Because <laughs> that was a thing. So yes. anyway, so, so anyway. Tipper Wait, Gore. Tipper Gore co-founded Parents Music Research Center, which advocated for the labeling of record covers releases featuring profane language, especially in the heavy metal, punk, and hip-hop genres. I, I don't think that's a bad thing. It says I, I, she advocated so, for mental health, homelessness, women, children, and LBGT rights. Um, not all <laughs> that's a, of these that's a in stretch. the 80s. That's because a she, was, she wrote, she wrote she a book, a, Raising PG Kids in an X-Rated World. There we go. That's, that's the big book. The book. That's so, the one that propelled her to prominence. So don't get me too much started on the LGBT thing. Because that didn't come around for Tipper Gore for a right. long time. So uh, Sheldon, Sheldon's better read on Tipper Gore than I am. But I do know about her book, X, Raising X-Rated Children in a... Sorry, Raising PG-Rated Children in an X-Rated World. <laughs> Raising uh, <laughs> X-Rated Children in a PG World. Which, that uh, could be a whole nother book. Basically, I have not read it myself, I'll admit. But each chapter lampoons a different thing that are, are seducing our innocent children. Um, from metal music to Dungeons & Dragons to, to film to television. You know, she just... Uh, I, I don't think she touches on comic books because by the 80s that was considered okay. Yeah. Uh, but it would have been two decades earlier that that would have probably been written into the same book. Um, and now we, we take a, a, like a step back and I don't know if she's necessarily an authority on that. Her son uh, got out of rehab, uh, immediately got high, drove a car and got arrested again. Uh, and her daughter is a screenwriter who wrote a scene for Futurama where Al Gore is playing Dungeons and Dragons with Gary Gygax <laughs> and a couple others. So... I mean, I don't know how, like, and, and as Sheldon pointed out earlier, it didn't take long before she flipped and was a big proponent for LGBTQ. Now, you know, do with that what you want, but it's, it, it's not in line with what her message was before, yeah. right? That's Whether you agree or disagree, it was yeah. not in line with what she had been saying. Yeah. Because to be a Democrat in the South, in the 80s, she would have had to say some of the things that she said in order to sell books, in order to rise to prominence. She could not have been LGBT pro, you know, pro gay rights or right. anything like that. Well, and there was, there's a lot of general normalization that's gone on in society since then that, that changed all kinds of things in that realm yeah. as well. People forget that Al Gore was vice president, Bill Clinton was president when the Defense of Marriage Act was signed. Like... <laughs> Yeah, it was it was wholesale. Yeah, Democrat and Republican cross political boundaries. Yeah, yep, yep. So. Anyway, that was Tipper Gore. She she helped keep a lot of this <laughs> stuff alive. Uh, Tipper Gore, Mike Warnke were both called upon as experts for various broadcasts, everything from 60 Minutes, like you mentioned, to 2020. Geraldo Rivera used a lot of their crap and and used used it extensively. Yeah, and. Do we want to talk about at all about like milk boxes and the missing children thing oh. and that tying into it? Well, I think, again, we have not talked about the actual, every, all the trials and everything that happened in 93. Yeah. So let's touch on that first. Okay. Let's A lot of kidnapping that stats that they used back then included things like uh, custody disputes and truant children yeah. and things like that. So yeah. they weren't, there wasn't nearly as many kidnappings as what they were making out. So, That's all I so wanted that, to say. That touches let's move on to daycare. Okay. 
Okay. So the, the longest <laughs> trial in U.S. history. Yeah, the McMartin Preschool Trial in '93, um, which used not just '93. It spanned. It several started years. in '93. It went from '93, I right here, till 1990, and that can't be right. I think it might have been 1983 to, to 1990. I'll pull Fact it up. Fact check me. It's okay. Keep going. Anyway, um, basically, the McMartin Preschool in. Uh, I can't remember which city in California. Uh, they were charged with um, sexual misconduct with children, with preschool children. Um, and uh, the, one of the hallmarks of this case was, this is also one of the first times, I think, uh, if not the first time, that a psychologist had used a doll and said, show me where the bad man touched you, um, which uh, is a the leading, is a leading question. The trial ran from to 1990, initial... Allegations were 1983. There we go. Okay, 83. Yeah, my yeah. notes were wrong. Los um, Angeles District Attorney. Uh, it, was, it was Manhattan Beach, California. Okay. Now, the I, I don't want to make light of uh, children that have been um, molested and betrayed by, by people that they uh, trust. Um, however... Showing a child a doll and saying, "Show me where they touched you." Yeah, I've got kids. They're, you know, they're gonna. Not everything my four-year-old daughter says can be trusted. Right. She has a very active imagination. Right. Um, we have within you know our household different ways of communicating that will let us know if something happens. Um, but show a kid a doll and say, "Show me where they touched you." They're going to answer the question, even if it's dishonest. Uh, another thing that came up several times when interviewing the children uh, was a lot of kids mentioned um, a game called uh, what was it? Naked Superstar, Naked Movie Star. Sorry, which uh, you know to an adult that sounds, especially given the context that they're already investigating, yeah. sounds terrible. Right. Um, and then later on, uh, so it's, there was something like two hundred kids that that uh, were supposedly. Uh, sexually uh, abused. Uh, and then of those 200, some had gotten whittled down to only 40 that were confirmed. And then of those 40, only like four or five testified. Uh, and then of those four or five, um, it, it proved that, well, maybe this wasn't what we thought it was. And all of the McMartins, everybody involved, were acquitted. Yeah. Uh, Ten years later. Right. Uh, the Naked Movie Star game was a rhyming insult, which is what you say is what you are you're a naked movie star. <laughs> okay? So, but to the kids, it's the naked movie star game, right? And the adults don't know what that means. Right. Right? They'll, and they will infer a lot because they don't have the same innocence that those kids have. Yeah. Yeah. It, the initial allegations were bought, brought by a, a lady named Judy Johnson who claimed that her son had been sodomized by her estranged husband and by McMartin teacher Ray Bucky. Mm. And, and uh, basically, Bucky was the target of yeah. the investigation, and it just expanded from there. Um, and and, and this, uh, this Judy Johnson, the lady that brought it, brought the accusation, uh, she was later diagnosed and hospitalized for acute paranoid schizophrenia and in 1986 was found dead in her home from complications of chronic alcoholism before the preliminary hearing concluded. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like she had, she had a number of problems to begin with. And then a lot of the psychologists that were involved were asking the kids very, very leading, leading questions. Yep. questions. And, and it all started because her son had some painful bowel movements and what, 
the questions that were asked after that yeah. Yeah. is what led to all of it with everyone in the McMartin case being acquitted. But think about your life being consumed sure. by that for yeah. 13 years. Yeah. 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 And, and so today, if the same case were to come up, it would only be about sexual abuse. Right. right. Because at the time, the Satanic Church started by LaVey, uh, Michelle Remembers was written three years before. This was on everybody's mind. Right, uh, and it was already mainstream, and so it wasn't a big leap to say the the reason that they were molesting our children, which you know didn't, didn't wasn't happening to begin with, but the reason they're molesting our children is for satanic ritual abuse. That's the term for it. Um, this belief that there is a, a group of uh, occult operators uh, from all levels of government um, covering up these cases and and. <laughs> using our children uh, to do uh, satanic rituals. Um, Patty Pulling, which we'll which get to is later. strikingly similar to some of the Pizzagate accusations. Yeah. yeah. There, anyway. There, there are so many through threads to today that I want to get to before the end of this. Um, <laughs> Patricia Pulling um, wrote, uh, started a, a group after her, her son committed suicide. Uh, she blamed Dungeons and Dragons. And in a lot of her uh, writings, she what said... What was her group that she started? Um... It, it was called Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons. It was bad for short, <laughs> which is bad. We were trying to decide if this group was formed before or after MAD. It was. Yeah. It was, it was after, after MAD. After MAD. It's just a worse acronym. Yeah. Because MAD makes sense. Bad. Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Forcing Fantastic. an acronym. And anyway, so so Patricia Pulling, and, and I want to talk more about her later, um, she theorized that as many as one in eight people in her city of, uh, I can't remember, a city in Virginia, as many as one in eight, or at least one in eight, I think she said, was a conservative estimate of one in eight people in her city were Satanists. Now, wow. based on what? Based on... Uh, that's what she thought. That's what she thought, yeah. Uh, she was a one-person advocacy group. Not, not quite, actually. I, I looked more into that. I was wrong when I told you that to begin with. Uh, <laughs> but I will say, when she died, so did her organization. Yeah. Nobody, nobody's willing to carry the Nobody torch. Nobody picked up the bothered about Dungeons & Dragons? Yeah, they weren't bothered anymore. Bummer. They were okay about Dungeons & Dragons. I'm a little bothered about Dungeons & Dragons because I don't understand it. It's just dice, man. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> All right. So we did the daycare. Here. Have we sufficiently done the daycare? But there, there was dirt. Because that trial drug on so long, the initial accusations being in the early to mid-80s, and the trial doesn't conclude and doesn't have everybody acquitted until the early 90s, you have all of this compounding in a way that people are afraid of putting their kids in daycare. And why would the Christian community be afraid of that? Because they don't want women going back to work and leaving oh, the I household. Think that's a stretch. Come on. It's, it's part of it because, because that was now another me, thing that's happening. There are more women at work today. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. I think this is getting into personal experience <laughs> because this was not the case in my growing up experience at all. Like not even remotely. But uh, this was I'm not saying even a part that there is part of that. Like because if both both parents work, you have to put your kid in daycare. Yeah. And so it plays into like the homeschool thing, and a lot of other things where people are scared so to put their saying, kids into daycare is, because of ritual abuse is, that could be possible. What you're saying in the is, daycare system. What you're saying is that there was an intentionality on the part of somebody that was pushing this stuff on the part to of manipulate that, this part of it that people. People that were in leadership it. positions that have 
that have that type of leaning already saying that the woman's place is in the home and the man should go to work and that having that idea in their mind would latch on to something like that so fast it's not even right. Oh, so it was a subconscious thing is yes, what you're saying. Okay, okay. Conscious, I thought you were saying it was why, a conscious decision. But I'm saying that it's, no, not, okay. not as necessarily conscious or done for manipulative reasons, but it is something that you would be bent towards in a lot of circles over that time because there is the revolution of a lot of a lot of uh, women's liberation, the women's action yeah. groups and that type of thing still yeah. happening and starting to gain more, more traction, more prevalence during that time. Yeah. So th there's, there's a number of backlashes that ensue around the same thing, but the, the, child, the, child, the daycare thing is feeding right into, if you believe, those it, other if you believe the kidnapping pandemic epidemic is happening and you're seeing all these kids that are missing on milk cartons every morning when you're pouring your cereal. Yeah. You're hearing all these claims on 60 minutes and on 2020 and how bad like Dungeons and Dragons is having kids committed suicide left and right. There's ritual satanic abuse going on in daycare centers. There's all this stuff also happening. Also keep in mind this was once. just after There's a lot of fear that people are this was also just into. after the big expose, uh, the first time we really became aware of uh, children being sexually abused by their priests in the Catholic Church. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, that was uh, early to mid late 80s, yeah. right? Where that really came out. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, again, back back of all this, let's, 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 go, let's go back to this because we're going to wrap. Thank you for keeping us yeah. on track. We're going to wrap. <laughs> we're going to wrap here for this first section. No, we'll actually. Uh, let's. You wanted to do real quick. That's what our I want to do first. Yeah, that's what I want to do then, first, and then we'll yes. actually wrap this one, and we'll come back with a part okay. two specifically pertaining to Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. Okay. So, what I want to talk about once again is our personal experience. When did we start to see glimmers of this seeping into our own lives and our own homes in terms of um, in terms of what we were uh, what we were allowed or not allowed to do, things that changed, you know, all that kind of thing. Okay. Yes. So. Um, I'll start. Go for since it. Since I'm, I think, the old man of the group. <laughs> am I correct? Probably. 35. 26. Yeah. Or oh, yeah, seven. Oh I don't know how old I am. Yeah, I'm killing you I on don't that pay one. attention to that. Um, so here we go. I remember so distinctly when I was living in Coshocton, uh, Ohio. This was probably about 19, I don't know, somewhere between 93 and 94. Because we moved here in 95. It was somewhere in that 93, yeah. 94, 95 era. That was it was suddenly starting to not so much become popular to trick or treat anymore. Oh yeah. You know, whereas before you do Halloween parties in the church and you do all this stuff, all of a sudden it was starting to become taboo and you were starting to do alternatives to Halloween. And as part of that alternative, you would hear, they would, they would show you a video about the satanic origins of Halloween and the satanic practices that still went along with Halloween and all of these things. And that was when I first started to realize, like, there was, there's something going on here. There's, so my parents stopped letting us go trick-or-treating. Uh, we stopped doing anything related to Halloween. But it was pretty much entirely centralized at that point around that holiday and mm -hmm. nothing else. And then once we moved to Worcester, probably once I was starting to get into junior high era, was when we started to get exposed to Rebecca Brown stuff which was then getting into all kinds of things, everything satanic. Everything has its roots in this. Everything has its roots in that. Looking at companies that, like Procter & Gamble, are actually Satanists, and they contribute all this money to this, and so we can't use anything for Procter & Gamble. And we, start, we started actually getting into boycotts. We started getting into... And my parents were not hard into this, 
but we were exposed to it. We saw it, and we started to have some of these interactions with people. And then, of course, you saw <clears throat> once the Harry Potter series came out, it all kind of resurfaced again. And, I, and I'll never forget hearing, I, I heard several pastors quote articles about Harry Potter and its influence on uh, boosting the numbers in the satanic church and, uh, and specifically interviewing children about how they realize now, because of reading the Harry Potter books, that, uh, that Christianity was stupid and that God was stupid and that Satan was actually powerful. Huh. Everything, word for word, verbatim, that I have heard people quote about this can all be traced back to an Onion article, which I actually looked up and I actually read and saw these direct quotes. And I'm like, again, there was a genuine militancy to this, mm-hmm. but the information was bad and nobody took the time to look into it. So there's all kinds of weirdness that started to seep in. And this is when I started to ask the question, like, why are we afraid of everything? Why are we paranoid about everything? How is it that everything somehow belongs to Satan and we don't get claim on anything? We're, we're just stripping everything out of our lives. And so that was when I started to question a lot of what I started to see and started looking into the history of it and seeing a lot of this stuff. So that's my basic like little, pill capsule version of what the satanic panic did in my immediate circle uh, as I was growing up as a kid. Anyone else? You want to go, Nelson? Sure. Um, So I have a slightly different view on it, but also I think it's larger because I am, uh, you know, a decade younger than you. Mm. Um, So my dad played D&D. Nana, I hope you're not listening. (laughs) Um, Because she would not have approved. Yeah. Yeah. but my dad played D&D. When I was a kid, we built a tree fort. He taught me to play D&D. My mom didn't really approve. Yeah. My mom, I remember writing notes to let my sister get out of class so that she didn't have to be in the class when Harry Potter was being read. Yeah. Sorry, Mom. Um, <laughs> I remember in church, too, though, uh, one of the ladies in church, nice lady, well-meaning, my brother was going through a hardcore emo phase, and he had a T-shirt that had a small skull in one corner of it, and she basically lit into him. Yeah. Right? That this is Satanism, blah, blah, blah. She also believed that the band P.O.D. was uh, Satanist because one of the guys had dreadlocks, and that's Rastafarianism, which is Satanism. Uh, wow. it's, it's It's actually morally closer to Christianity than it is okay, to Satanism. Okay, real quick aside on P.O.D. Yeah. They Papal probably had a direct uh, link to Brian Welch becoming a Christian. Yeah. Yeah, and leaving leaving corn yeah. and pers- well, he, he didn't leave. He, he did for a while. He did for a while. Yeah, now yeah, he's yeah. Back. Now he's back. But I mean, he is a Christian, and yeah. they went on tour with corn and were roundly criticized by the Christian community yeah. because, because POD was to touring with corn and limp biscuit. Sure. Yeah. Why would Christians ever want to be where unsaved people are and take right. the message of Christ somewhere? And there's there's actual pictures of POD in a circle praying before they go on stage. Yep. In front of a crowd that's there to say you limp biscuit. Like, yep. come on, that's pretty cool. That's yes. a great spot for Christians yes. to yep. be. And and I mean, even in the church I attend now, um, there are people that are nervous about the concept that a bunch of the twenty somethings in the church that work with the youth play D and D Friday nights. Yeah. Uh, although I will say my pastor got up on stage and mentioned this and in, in support of us, which I was really proud of. <laughs> he mentioned us in the same sentence as people that do CrossFit, and I, I think there's a lot of similarities there. Uh, I love that correlation. And then there's, uh, and we might get to this in the next one, um, Magic the Gathering, which I, I still hear people talk about. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, people in my church have, have issues with it, and I understand those issues. I understand pictures of 
magic and demons and whatnot might make you uncomfortable, and and we can get into that later. So I still hear it. We will. We, I, I, we still I still yeah. hear it, and um, it's still rippling out even now. Through, yeah, through the yeah. A lot of these are from people that in the eighties. Like actually, at least one of the guy in my church that talks about it in the eighties, he played D and D. Yeah. Right. Um, and so he he played despite the rumors. Yeah. And now years later, uh, believes it, um, despite evidence to the contrary. Yeah. So, Sheldon, here we go. Mine was pretty specific. I think it ties back to a guy named Phil Phillips, who we have not discussed. Oh my. This guy is probably responsible for most of what your parents or other parents may have read that fed into This Is All the Devil. Phil Phillips was the author of a book that I personally read as a kid because it was in a church library called Turmoil in the Toy Box. Yes! 1986. Oh my gosh, I will show I you the cover about of this. That book. Yes. Here's, oh my goodness. I'm like a couple articles deep. Let me just grab right and there. I, yeah. I remember There's reading the cover. I remember reading the book because I thought pictures and just the fact that they were mentioning toys and shows that I liked was cool enough and it was in a church library so it's something to read that had Star Wars in it and had you know various okay. things like let, that. Let me just give you a glimpse into who Phil Phillip was. Oh he uh, author also authored these books, Halloween and Satanism, mm. which is 1987. Uh, this one I also read, Saturday Morning Mind Control, 1991. Nope, That's about that. cartoons. Yes. And specifically how cartoons will lead to mind control and satanism. Uh, the, the, the other one was dinosaurs, the Bible, Barney and beyond mm. 1994. I feel like I remember that one too. Turmoil in the toy box. And this is, this is accurate. I read the book is about how the Smurfs, Care Bears, My Little Pony, He-Man, Mighty Mouse, the Cabbage Patch Kids and Rainbow Bright are all wicked devil toys straight from the pits of hell itself. Yeah. Leading our precious children into ruin. The other three book titles speak for themselves. Halloween and Satanism. <laughs> Includes some perhaps unwitting but still overt anti-Semitism on display in the author's choice of images and captions. Oh, yes, this dude was a massive conspiracy theorist, and he is probably personally responsible for the reason that some people today... He wrote a book called The Truth About Power Rangers, <laughs> and that's why the Power Rangers are bad. And a book on horror and violence. And all of these covers have to be seen to be believed. I remember the truth. They're about very I mean, They I are very like, graphic and grabbing like, yeah. demonic imagery and like, oh, there's a toy box of demon toys coming to yeah. get your children. Um, I, the only reason this was impactful is that during the 90s, my sisters were definitely not allowed to have Cabbage Patch dolls. Oh, yeah. Because of the rumors going around about them. And that how, if you brought a Cabbage Patch doll in, you were accepting a demon into your home, essentially. Right. And that they were basically prayed over by Satanist people that were... And the certificate, the birth certificate that you had was actually signing a contract with, with Satan. With the devil. Yep. And the yeah. troll dolls were supposed to, like, at night... Some kids were having trouble with dreams with the troll dolls transforming into a, a devil figure and coming and haunting I their dreams. I remember hearing about that. Yeah. Hey, there you go. And, and like this stuff was pervasive. Has anyone ever sat down with Phil Phillips and had a <laughs> normal conversation about maybe his feelings on the nation of Israel <laughs> or 
where he was getting all this stuff because I guarantee you I would put money on this that he was buddies with Mike Warnke <laughs> or at least playing off of stuff that Mike Warnke was spouting. It seems, it, it seems accurate. It was positive nonsense. Yes. And, and yet he sold his books right there on all these Christian shelves. And they're probably shelves. still in church and libraries now. Probably, yeah. yeah. And people probably read that more than they read their Bibles in some given oh, weeks. And I, guaranteed. I, I, yeah, unfortunately yeah. true. And, and put it there for everybody in their church to rent. I mean, He-Man, <laughs> the Cabbage Patch Dolls, like that was what was going to lead your child into Satanism. Right. Right. Think about how absurd yeah. that statement is. Yeah. I and okay, for me, I was also impacted because my my grandmother my grandmother was one of the most godly people I have ever met. She was a true believer. She loved the Lord her God with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength, and hated the devil with every passion of her being. <laughs> so if she thought the devil was anywhere near anything, she was not touching it. That's right. And I got to applaud that. I mean, that's part of where I get my own passion and zeal. It comes (laughs) naturally down through my family lines. My mother is the very same way. If there was a little bit of darkness mixed into it, if it had something to do with magic, and we couldn't tell if the magic was black or white, or if if it was magic, it was not the Holy Spirit out of here. You know, it's gone in Jesus' name. You know, And, and that kind of thing. Like, we were... We were very, we were on the side of, like, in my house, it was more like, and I, I got to applaud this, and I, I still would ascribe to a certain level of this with some of these things. Yeah. That if, if there's an element there that's questionable one way or the other, I think I could probably just live without it. Like, and that's how our, our family life went on. I didn't. I, I didn't care about He-Man. I didn't yeah. have to have a He-Man. Right. My, my daughter, my, not my daughters, my sisters had plenty of dolls that weren't Cabbage Patch dolls, and they turned out just fine. My sisters are great. Yeah. Like, it's probably because they didn't have to sign any contracts with the devil, though. They didn't have to sign any contracts with Satan. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I do want to say one thing. So I know we preface a lot, but I want to postface as well. So I mentioned my mom with Harry Potter books. Um, I also want to say, though, that... I was uncomfortable watching scary movies, and one thing that my mom said to me, and it's always stuck with me, and I, I tell the kids I work with in middle school, is evil in, evil out, right? Right. Which is yeah. a paraphrase of what you'll see over and over again in the Bible. And on that note, I, I do want to say, if, if you're watching a movie, reading a comic book, reading a book, playing a board game even, that makes you uncomfortable, step away from it. Yeah. Fo- follow the peace. If you don't have peace, step away from it. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and even linking back, to today, in my house, we don't celebrate Halloween. Yeah. This is not a holiday that we celebrate. And my, my kids are of the age where, like, they could be out trick-or-treating if they wanted to. They've been invited to friends' houses. And they basically just tell their friends, no, we don't do Halloween. Yeah. I, I, mean, it's I okay. love Halloween because it's the only day of the year where it's okay for me to really let my nerd flag fly yeah. in public. Uh, a lot of a lot of geeks are closet geeks, but you see people out in public dressed very specific ways, and you're like, "Yes, you you are my people." Yes, yes. yeah. But there's but something self-identifying about it for sure. Absolutely. For me, like the Harry Potter books, <coughs> I'm not I'm not about it. I don't I haven't read them. I'm not going to read them. Yeah. Uh, my wife doesn't read them. We're probably not going to give them to our kids. I'm, yeah. And it's just it's just comes from that thing. Like if there's something about it that we just don't 
like as parents. We don't, we're not. Right. We're. It, it might be harmless. Well, we again, just would goes, rather at, not. At, at worst, you that. miss out on cultural yeah. references. At, right. at very <laughs> worst. And, and it goes exactly. right along with that whole thing you said, you know, following the peace. And that's the thing is, sometimes it is more based on personal conviction than it is on anything else. And that's enough. Yep. And like, personal conviction is, is conviction, is conviction. And I do, I do have all very things are lawful, specific but not all things are helpful. biblical yeah. personal feelings on horror movies. And we talked about yeah. those in an episode called Fear Culture. Go, Go back, back and, and listen, listen to, to those. It. So yeah. for me, I mean, there is... There is a lot of real there. Yeah, yeah. So we'll wrap this. Yeah, we're wrapping this. Part two is coming out next week. Stay on the edge of your seats. We're going to talk about Dungeons and Dragons. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.